0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined at various places across Merseyside by Adam Jones, Sam Carroll and Chris Beasley. As we endeavour to bring you Royal Blue Podcast as usual, despite working from home and as I say at various points across the region. Hope everybody listening is well, fit and healthy. And uh, following government advice, as we hope to see the back of this as soon as possible. Um, And it is coronavirus on the agenda, of course. How could it not be today? Um, So we'll look at the two dates that are doing the rounds at the moment. You know, as football tries to look for a way back, April the 30th is the latest extension to suspension of Premier League games. And June the 30th is the date given by UEFA this week for when they hope there will be a resolution to all domestic leagues. we'll discuss whether that's ambitious or realistic or not realistic. Let's see. Um, and also in point of interest this week, former director of football Steve Walsh is back in the game, but possibly in the most, one of the most unlikely destinations. he's gone to Charlotte in America to be uh, to be part of their MLS setup there, and we'll talk about his legacy and an article that many of you have read on our website this week all of his signings rated so I'll ask the panel to give us their thoughts on his best and worst signing in his uh, near two-year reign at Goodison. Um, but chaps, we'll start with with obviously the only news story um, this week, last week and for weeks to come. Um, the Premier League this week, Adam, uh, after the meeting, um, extended the suspension of football until April the 30th, was, was from the 3rd of April. And, um, how realistic do you think that we will see football again on the 1st of May?
1: It, it seems unlikely at this stage, doesn't it? You know, it, it, it only seems like the situation across the country is getting worse at this point, you know. And, uh, you know, the fact that we're doing this podcast in the way that we're doing it just only goes to show that, really. There's self-isolation going on in all walks of life and, you know, football's no different. And yeah, it it just seems... It just seems hard for me to think. That. I think April the 3rd was certainly very unlikely as a date uh, for them to come back. And it just I just can't see how much uh, the situation is going to change by the time April the 30th comes around. But you wonder, you know, if we get to April the 30th and, you know, maybe they have to extend the deadline again. You just wonder where the cutoff point is going to be because you've still got a large amount of fixtures to fit in. You know, you've got FA Cup fixtures to try and fit in, European fixtures to try and fit in as well for certain teams across the country so it's going to be a real it, it, it's going to be a real tough situation for the Premier League to try and deal with and uh, you know even players coming back are they going to need some sort of like almost pre-season friendlies to try and get themselves fit again you know haven't spent so much time at home you know as we know the Everton squad are on individual training plans at the minute uh, you know how much is that going to be effective you just can't tell so There's still so many questions I think that need to be answered, and only time will tell uh, what the solutions to that are going to be.
0: Chris, um, the FA, of course, changing the uh, rules of their sort of constitution, if you like, where they define a season has to be finished by June the 1st, and saying that that extension is now sort of indefinite. Um, Yeah. Do you think that UEFA's desired finish for domestic leagues to be over by June the 30th? Do you actually think there's going to be a situation where it's very realistic that we'll see football played into July?
2: I think, that's a, yeah, Phil, I think that's a realistic possibility, given that uh, <clears throat> we've already seen this um, one delay of, of, of almost a month after the original uh, re- return date. And with that, of course, brings the whole um, issues of, of contracts, because uh, contracts typically run until the end of June. So we've got loan players like Jibriel Sidibe, Players who were coming to the end of their contract, the likes I mean, they might not figure so much as Sadibi does, of Umar Nias and Kuko Martino be out of contract. But, yeah, I imagine if it does come to that, there's going to have to be agreements across the board that in the extenuating circumstances, players are allowed to stay with the clubs they're at now. But it is a major issue that needs to be addressed. And I can imagine, yeah, theres I think there's a, probably a fair chance of, of that um, happening now in the season, actually going beyond June never mind May like you say
0: and of course Sam yesterday um, Prime Minister Boris Johnson talking about a 12 week period when he he helped the country turn the tide on the coronavirus but of course that doesn't mean far from it in fact that that everybody can suddenly come out of out of hibernation and out of lockdown and and self-isolation and and everything goes back to normal Um, and I think perhaps we have to be very mindful of the fact that if the Premier League and football around the country is to pick up. Is much of it going to have to be, be played behind closed doors? And if so, what do you think of that? Yeah,
3: Obviously, you, you don't want to see a, a situation where, where it does get played behind closed doors. Um, but if, if it has to come to that to, to finish the season, then ultimately that's got to happen, hasn't it? You know, the season has got to finish somewhere and, and, and we need to resolve. You know, Obviously, Liverpool will, will win the league, but then who, who finishes... In the European places, obviously we've got a, a, an outside chance of that. That needs to be resolved and the, the relegation places and, and, and the promotion places with all the money involved at the moment just means it, it does need to end. So, as much as every football fan doesn't want that to happen and as much as you know, professional footballers are used to playing in front of massive Premier League crowds, then if the FA think that is the only way to, to get it done, then th- that, that's going to be what, what's going to have to happen. And at the moment, that's probably looking the most likely scenario, which is you know, it, this is unprecedented. But even, you know, going back to the old school days of, you know, finding out the score at the end of the game or, or keeping up, you know, with, with real time updates and not being able to, to watch the game would just be so so strange, wouldn't
0: it? Did Did any of us um, on this podcast today think that there was any realistic um, possibility, or think there was any value at all? Um, as some have said, and, and some have said this with obviously a vested interest, but others have said it from a position where they don't have an interest in that respect, that the season should have just been cancelled, voided, mm-hmm. or, or, or there should yeah. have been a position where we took the table as it was and some of the boffins in the Premier League offices <laughs> worked out a points ratio and said, right, this is how the season's finishing. Deals. I remember, that,
2: there was actually yesterday I did a story on um, they, using the, it's the system which FIFA apparently used for, the, for their uh, world rankings and uh, this professor had um, devised the, bof- the boffin I was talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. <laughs> and the aforementioned boffins and he, he cutted up all the results based on a, this complex formula of different permutations, how many games you played, how many home games you remain in and did all the number crunching and every single one of the 20 Premier League teams remained in the same position <laughs> where they are now. But yeah, We could say, well, Everton are probably the ones least affected because they're not actually doing anything. They've not got relegation issues, not got um, title issues. But that would actually mean that Everton stayed in 12th place and that would have been Everton's lowest league position since 2004, 16 years ago. And I'm sure Evertonians wouldn't be happy with finishing Ancelotti's first season with the lowest league position for 16 years. They've just come through a tough run where they've had... um, Arsenal, Manchester, United, Chelsea. And I imagine Everton would be expecting to pick up quite a few more points before the end of the season. I think it actually had them finishing six points below where they finished last season. Wow. So, well, yeah, well, it, it was intrinsically unfair anyway to do that. That's, that's why we love football anyway, because of the unpredictability and the, the numerous permutations that can happen on any given day to change the result. So, yeah, it was ridiculous. I think three
3: quarters of the season gone, you've got to finish that season. I think Look, as ever as never find you know that obviously it's 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 funny isn't it to say I'll oh, cancel the season and for Liverpool to to not win the league and I I wouldn't personally mind it but be, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be it'd be unfair wouldn't it that you know Liverpool have had a a, a great season and an unprecedented season and the amount of matches they, they won. Yeah, uh, uh, but the, the the big thing for me is obviously promotion, relegation, Europe. You know, you've got Sheffield United up there, you've got Wolves up there. You know, with a bit of better form last few months, we would for ourselves. And and the money that that you get from playing in the Premier League that all three teams in the bottom three can realistically set up. There's no one adrift, drift. You know, there's there's all to play for. And then the teams in the Championship as well. You know, it it could it it could really really impact some teams long term future. You know, I'm sure. You know, Jurgen Klopp isn't sitting there thinking I really want to win the league to, for this winfall we'll get with there's teams in the championship who who are probably going to be dependent on getting promoted this season. So the season has to finish, doesn't it? You can't just wipe off a twenty-nine, thirty-game season and say, Ah, well, we'll 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 come back and we'll start again next year. That that can't happen. So such a such a strange position, but that is right now the big thing, isn't it? How do we finish it? How do we finish it safely? Uh, and and how do we finish it in the best way? That it it doesn't impact upon anything else, you know. Obviously, we it, it's been it's been a, a a good decision taken early to to postpone the auto. But then even that next summer will throw up its own challenges. So, you know, what what a what a time we are kind of witnessing at the moment. And, and
0: I and I know. Um, just going back to, to Bees's point about you know, Everton would have finished twelfth in this if this scientists uh, FIFA <laughs> coefficient plan data <laughs> model had it, it, been had been slapped on the Premier League at this point. You know, and look, as he rightly says, we have no fear of relegation. We're not going for the title, but we are going for Europe. But also, every league position, Adam, counts for more money. And we Mm -hmm. again have seen from the accounts that were um, shown in January how important every million, every two million is to the club and ultimately to the amount of money
1: we can spend on improving the squad. Yeah, exactly. I think that was, you know... It, that was very clear in January when we had that general meeting, and I think it's only it's only heightened in importance with this current situation. You know, with the situation as it currently stands, you find it hard to think that any football club is is going to you know keep the same amount of money. Yeah, I think every football club across the country is going to lose money in some way, shape, or form by these matches at least getting postponed, and then you know who knows what's going to happen in the future. Who knows how long they're going to get postponed for? And you know, at the bottom sort of levels of the football pyramids that could be that could be massive for these clubs, you know, to you know, for like certain League Two, even League One clubs to be losing these sort of gate receipts and stuff like that for the next well, two months at least, the foreseeable future, let's say, you know, that could be hugely impactful on them, you know staying in business which is you know it it kind of puts it into stark perspective I've got no doubt that Premier League clubs will lose money as well but you know Premier League clubs are kind of safe from uh, a lot of that really because of the amount of TV money that we've got but then you wonder what the TV companies are going to do without being able to stream matches and so forth so yeah I I just think the financial situation becomes all the more important and it just goes back to what the lads said I think I completely agree that I think The priority should be finishing the season. Now, as a last resort, I would probably do it behind closed doors if there's no other way of doing it. But I would prioritise finishing this season before we start thinking about, oh, let's just rip it up and start next season, push next season back if we need to. I think there's an argument to be said. If we push next season back, it might actually play into our hands for when the Winter World Cup comes around. We might be able to structure the seasons a little bit better and, you know, it might in the long term... uh, Produce a little bit less of a headache when that winter World Cup comes around, but and, yeah, and, I think, and to extend the season going forward into, into more of the summer months. Do you mean? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, j- just try and structure the next couple of years a little bit differently. You know, if it if it means that we don't see football this season for you know even beyond uh, May June, let's say, you know, so be it. I think the the priority, regardless, should just be finished this season. And then take stock and see where we go from there
0: um bees just going back to the the idea of behind closed doors yeah you know uh, um you know every club would 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 probably argue this, but it feels particularly pertinent to us. It may be the only solution in order to get the the Premier League finished within the time frames um desired, but we as a club would have a um particular sort of issue with that wouldn't we because we play the Derby behind closed doors, games with Leicester, big games, and we all know, and I know, as I say, other clubs rightly will say that their homes are their fortresses, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. but there's an acceptance that Goodison and when the crowds behind the team is very, very difficult place to play, and it's a huge part of what Every manager at Everton tries to harness, and Carlo has, has, has certainly already spoken about it. So there would be there would be reasons for disappointment at Everton if if the decision was made that, that there would be no fans allowed in the grounds for the remaining matches. Yeah, like you say, I mean, every team is going to want their home support, that
2: partisanship um, behind them, and just the fact that obviously it, the people have, have paid the money to to go the matches. But yeah, at Everton in particular, I mean, many managers referees have said over the years Alex Ferguson of course think Howard Webb as well amongst the referees just what a difficult arena that is to come to as an away team or as a referee to officiate in like you say we've got um, the prospect of a a Merseyside derby to fit in before the end of the season that I'm sure there is much more chance of Everton getting a result in a derby if it's a passionate um, full house at Goodison Park rather than what is essentially a a glorified uh, training session in an empty stadium so yeah as Adam says the most important thing is fulfilling the fixtures for me to get those fixtures played and if need be that has to go behind closed doors but that is a a last resort I'd rather wait a little bit longer and actually play the games
0: when, when the fans can go into the stadium Sam, just on, on, on waiting a bit longer and and, and, and giving giving everything its, its due time and as much time as possible. Um, Sean Harvey, the former EFL chief exec, I think, um, was on um, Sky Sports earlier this week and, and having a discussion about, about what could happen. And he even floated the idea, and it was just a suggestion, that the season, next season, uh, 2020 2021 actually is reduced and begins in January and is a 19 game season and it's just the look of the draw whether you have 10 games at home and nine away. Um, I mean, would that work?
3: Like, like T20, isn't it? T20. Football. <laughs> <laughs> it, 2000? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd say just now with the amount of money that that's involved in football, yeah. it couldn't yeah. be could it. Do you know, it's it's fun, it's quirky. It would it would be something different. It'd be crazy. And, and it'd certainly be exciting, but the amount of money that, that rests on these seasons now, and you, you, you're talking, you know, life and death for clubs, aren't you? Whether whether clubs continue, whether clubs can can continue to compete and and punch their weight, so it's it's not going to happen, then, you know, it, but it, it does raise the question of where does it can't kind of stop, just because you know if this season runs over, then the next season runs over, and then, like could could it change football forever? Could we never manage to? unless we said, right, we're going to finish this season in mid-August and then start the next season a couple of weeks after and everyone just has to kind of grin and bear it. You know, there's, there's got to be some kind of... There's got to be a, some give somewhere, hasn't there? There's got to be give somewhere, you know, with an international tournament being pulled, with a cup competition being pulled, with multiple cup competitions getting pulled. So, you know, it really is, for, for me personally, I think it's, it's the first time in my lifetime where I'm, I'm living a... a, a a monumental footballing kind of time in terms of, you know, it's 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 worldwide. It's across, I think, pretty much every league bar the Turkish league at the moment. You know, it's it, it's a it's a massive time for football, and you know, a, a massive time for the government and bodies to, to step up and find uh, a solution that suits everyone. But you know, as the saying goes, you, you won't please everyone, and they certainly won't please everyone this time. There's, there's going to be some people who who won't be happy with what they did. There's going to be some people who are delighted and. And some people who are just a bit, yeah, as B says, it doesn't really affect Evan at this moment, does it? But it is still, you know, usually the sometimes think as football fans, we can we can get a bit of thingy to, you know, if it's not affecting us, we're not really bothered. But this, I think, has got the interest of of all fans at the moment to, to see how they're going to kind of deal with that. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I'd, I'd be up for a 19 game shootout season in, in, you know, just to see what happened. But it, it wouldn't <laughs> happen. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, what, what have you,
2: if you got relegated? I mean, ho- hopefully, won't happen under Carlo Ancelotti, but you know, Everton were in the, the relegation zone back in December, coming up to the halfway point of the season. So, what do you do with the teams who you could get relegated after a 19 game season of all kinds of permutations? I suppose we've only got a quarter, less than a quarter of the season to complete. I think, mm. however long you've got to wait for that to get resumed, you could, you could chuck a few midweeks in. You get that done in about of six course. weeks, surely. So, yeah, I, I think I, I don't think we're going to have this doomsday scenario where it's going to take us years and years to play catch up. And as Adam said, there might even be a bit of jiggery pokery to do ahead of the um, the Winter World Cup, which it's in itself has thrown up massive issues for the traditional football
0: calendar. Well, and of course, Adam as well. We have to, you know, it, it would seem fairly sensible to suggest even at this stage that whatever happens pre-season won't look the same this summer. Um, you know, yeah. pre-season, you know, last summer, Everton go into Kenya, Switzerland, Germany a couple of times, etc. cetera. You know, it lasts, what is it, six weeks before the, the competitive stuff starts. And I know there's obviously guidelines and, and um, advice over players having a certain amount of rest, but in terms of talking about things having to give, is that kind of where maybe the, the sort of it will tell on, on you know, there has to be some negotiation there. I know it's not mm. ideal because players do need rest and that comes mm. for, for a very good reason. Um, mm. and, we, and, you know, we could be talking in six, eight months' time about players getting injured earlier on in the season and stuff. But is that the place where this maybe has to give? I don't
1: know. I think I, I completely agree, to be honest, yeah. And I think we'll probably know a little bit more than that. About it, you know, when we come towards this, you know, 30th of April deadline, I think, well, when we're a couple of weeks away from that, I think we'll know a little bit better whether we'll actually be seeing football after that deadline, whether it'll need to be extended, so on and so forth. And to be honest, you'd think that perhaps the players wouldn't want to, you know, come back. Let's say they, they do come back on May the 1st, let's say, and we all play. And as B says, they could get it done in six weeks. So let's just say they get it done in six weeks. Would the players really want to do it for six weeks and then have another like long period of time off? I'm not so sure. When a lot of them would have been playing international football, of course, which has now been suspended. Uh, you know, COP America has been suspended, Euros have been suspended. You know, so these players would have been preparing to play a little bit of football over the summer at least. So perhaps maybe give them another two, three weeks off, maybe completely focused on rest. And perhaps just have a little short pre-season, pre-season schedule, maybe just have a domestic sort of pre-season where, you know, we'd see Everton travel to Scotland or whatever, let's say, or, you know, a few lower league clubs in England, to, you know, just try and get minutes in the legs again and then just go from there. I think, yeah, I think pre probably, it seems to me like the ideal time to just, you know, take a bit of time back and then, you know, refocus and get straight back into it.
3: Obviously, what it's it's closer. closer. To, sorry, sorry Phil. Obviously, it's it's closer to my heart doing the doing the, the non-league stuff as well. But I did see the the northwest county's chairman tweet yesterday saying, you know, obviously, as Adam wrote in one of his pieces yesterday, under twenty-three footballers off as well. And I think it'd be nice, maybe, you know, that they're going to need some kind of mini preseason after this. It might not necessarily have to be the first team, but you know, it's a really tough tough time. I think Barnett this week have have laid off their their entire staff, you know, to to cope and. You know, we have so many non league teams across Liverpool and, and the local areas that you know it'd be nice to, to see Everton and Liverpool and Tramia maybe try and organise some matches with you know your your Little and Remickers, your Prescott cables and all local teams to, to try and give them a, a bit of a match day boost because, you know, Everton and Liverpool are, you know, in quotation marks the the lucky ones because m- missing a few months of football, although it'll impact them in the long term, they'll still make that money back on matches. But you know, this could really be, you know, going months without without fans coming through the gate of of non-league could could be horribly could be the death of some of them. So it'd be nice to see. You know, we know Everton are brilliant at the community stuff, but it'd be really nice to see them reach out in that respect either, you know, in in this mini preseason if they if they granted that, or in the summer as part of the preseason schedule. We obviously we have seen this week the EFL announce. Um...
0: Financial support packages for, for clubs in in the football league pyramid and stuff, but you know, some makes a good point about teams in in, in our locality. And, and you know, look, Premier League clubs will will obviously lose out s- some money, you know, if games behind played behind closed doors, etc. Um, you know, look, and we know that you know how sort of not perilous, but of course, how difficult some clubs have financial positions with FFP and trying to remain um, sort of balance the books, if you like, but. Is there not enough money sloshing around the Premier League for a fund to be created generally to help these clubs? I mean, I know somebody made a good point online, I think it was today or yesterday, that if the football clubs are given £5 million to give uh, Richard Scudamore a a sort of a golden handshake and a payoff recently, surely that sort of money can be found to help these other clubs survive?
1: Mm.
2: You'd like to think so, wouldn't
1: you? Because, you know, these are these are people's livelihoods at the end of the day. You know, it's not just, you know, you, you'll have, let's say a few non-league, league, even League 2 clubs go under because of this situation. You're going to have so many players who are looking for new clubs. You're going to have so many, you know, casual staff who are looking for new jobs. It's, it it affects so many people's lives. You know, people in that local area have suddenly lost, you know, what could have been major part of their income on match days. And, you know, it, it, it does just affect so many people's lives. And, you know, as you say, the Premier League do have a lot of money to be playing about with. You know, the, the TV deals are just getting astronom- astronomically and you know exponentially more and more every single year. You'd like to think, you know, a fair wedge of that could be put aside to you know make sure every single football team in the in the pyramid is you know safe over over this period of uncertainty for everybody. Okay,
0: um, we'll move on. Um, Sam wrote a piece earlier this week rating every one of Steve Walsh's signings. He was given the uh, an enviable task of putting that together. But, but um, it's definitely been a, an article of interest. Obviously, it was on the back of, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, Steve Walsh is back in football finally after he, he was sacked by Everton in the summer of 2018. Um, so I'm going to ask the panel today mm. to give me their favourite or, or the player they consider the best signing of the Steve Walsh era. And the signing they consider the worst. Uh, Bees, you're looking most worried. So I'm going to come to you first. <laughs> um, who, who do you think
2: Steve Walsh deserves credit for for yeah. bringing to the football club? I was just thinking about this earlier, and and it's been a very it's been a slow burner. But, um, Dominic Calvert Lewin, he was a Steve Walsh signing, wasn't he? He was yeah. in the Steve Walsh era, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, definitely, it'd, it'd be one if he would come to us a, a year ago. The jury would really be out on him. Um, a player who's improved um, dramatically in his, in his time at Everton, but until this season, it looked like that one key ingredient for a striker—that finishing power, that sort of fox in the box nature, that poultry's instinct—was lacking, and it was something that you feared couldn't be coached. But he's had a real breakthrough season, and considering, you know, they they um, paid something in the region was around, around a million, million and a half,
0: possibly. That, that was that was the deal, all in. Yeah, so I'm sure many, yeah. much of that has been uh, triggered by now. Yeah, yeah, for a player who'd.
2: Not really played much first team football at all at Sheffield United. I remember doing a piece from his old manager in non-league days when he when he started out on on loan there. So yeah, the way he's come all the way through now and has finally got us kind of not talking about replacing Romelu Lukaku for you know the best part of two and a half years now. We're saying ever must replace Lukaku. Well, finally, like I say, slow burn. It looks like they've done that in in house. So yeah. Um, I had to play the long game,
0: but dominant Calvert Lewis. Indeed. And a player who was whose arrival was uh, was driven by uh, David Unsworth, but of course came in the Steve Walsh era. Adam, um who would you rank as Steve Walsh as his best signing for the football club? Uh,
1: I think I've got to go address a guy. Like there's I just don't think there's there's any question. I think Everton is still missing him now. You know, I think we've seen over the course of this season, you know, especially in the last few weeks, we've seen the issues that we've had in midfield. You know, I don't know injuries have played a big part in that, and we don't know whether you know Jean Philippe Cabanne could have been the replacement that he was touted as being. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think Idrissa Guy's influence in that midfield was just absolutely huge. You know, we know how industrious he was and how energetic he was, and you know, he was just. An absolute nuisance for anybody trying to attack the Everton defence for a good number of years, but it was you know the the second part of that uh, 2018-19 season. I think that's where we really saw the best out of him. That's when we saw him add those you know more attacking sort of attributes to his game as well. You know, I know he'd scored a couple of goals for us in his years previously, but I think that was when we really saw the best of him in an attacking sense, and he he really gelled together with Andre Gomez, in particular, next to him. And you know it. I do just wonder what would have happened if we'd managed to keep hold of him in the summer. You know, I know he had his heart set on a move to Paris Saint Germain, so you know, you can't blame the club or anything like that for for letting him go or anything. And you obviously can't blame the club for his his replacement getting injured three games into the season. But yeah, I just think we've we've missed him so much. He was one of the best bargains that we've had in the last probably like ten years. I'd say. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think there's no question for me, it's Guy.
0: And, uh, of course, to answer, to answer your question there, Adam, what would we be doing if we still had him? Well, I think Carlo wouldn't be looking for a mid- midfielder <laughs> with energy, would he? Yeah. Because we would, we would have the most energetic midfielder around. Sam, who who do you think, is anybody different that you think Steve Walsh deserves credit for?
3: Well, obviously Adam must have read the article because it's just a guy, a, okay, he got a, a nine out of ten. Oh, yeah. the, uh, oh Sam, yeah. Sam Carroll yeah. nine, wow. Sam Carroll nine, yeah. Um, <laughs> So you know, B B's took out lewin as well, which obviously looking like a great piece of business, and another one. You know, judging from the past one or two months since he's joined Fleetwood on loan, obviously Lewis Gibson arrived during the Steve Walsh year. That, that could look like a like a decent bit of business. So there's there's, there's a few knocking about. You know what I mean? Jordan Pickford. I still think. Yeah. You know, I me and me and Preno defended Jordan a few times on this podcast. I still think he could become, or still should be. Everton and, and England's in, in number one for the long term if, if he can kind of cut out the, the concentration errors a, a little bit. So, you know, the, the thing with Walsh is that at, at the risk of kind of getting a bit of stick for this, I think that his, his transfer business wasn't the worst ever. It was just that when he signed someone bad, they were really, really, really bad and, and usually quite expensive as well. But, you know, there's a, a few names in there, isn't there, you know, that just didn't work out. But, you know, we made profit on... Uh, Vlasic, we made a profit on on Yakuru, you know, a couple that were just sh- sh- strange signings, but you know, n- not the worst. But then it's more when you start looking through and you kind of see your Balassis and your Sandros and and Davy Classen, uh, and and then the jury's still out on a few, isn't it? You know, you've got Michael Keane, you've got gilfie Sigurdsson, and a few like that. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably at the moment go for the gay. Bay still unbelievable that we signed him for for eight million, but. In a couple of years, we could be sat here talking about Dominic Carvalhoon, and who, as you point out, was was under the Walsh umbrella. So,
1: yeah.
3: Okay, let's flip that discussion
0: on its head. Um Chris, who do you think has been the biggest disappointment in terms of signings that uh, Mr. Walsh brought?
2: Yeah, there was two that immediately sprung to mind, but given their the respective. Uh, Transfer fees. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, they're, they're, they're Sandro Ramirez and Davey Classen, but I'm going to say Klassen, although at that particular time, and, and we said I've compared this before to um, Beatles songs, Lennon and McCartney, they've always got that joint um, or, um, authorship on them, which was more actually a Coombe Man given these connections? So could you pin the blame as it had have to be blame? <laughs> Cooman, um, yeah, that just the, the price that he paid that Davy class and um, you know, Ajax captain came with a huge reputation, and, and it, it never really happened for him in, in English football. He just didn't seem to offer any particular strength. He didn't seem particularly quick, he didn't seem particularly strong. Obviously, he was a good p- um passer of the ball, but he just never seemed to, to, to fit in. And obviously, Everton had to take a huge loss on him after, after um, just the one season. Sandro equally as disappointing, but of course he came for much more of a modest fee, albeit with uh, big
1: wages. Mm. Adam, what's your pick? Uh, I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to go Sandra mm. because I think uh, while while David Clasen was undoubtedly really disappointing, you know we we thought he was going to be this creative hub that we'd signed, uh, even though we signed them along with two other attacking midfielders, which was mm-hmm. a really interesting decision. Uh, we did in fact sell him on, and we were managed to recoup some money for him at least, if not you know, all of the quite large amount that we paid for him. Uh, Sandra Ramirez is still an Everton player, and he's still getting big, big amounts of money for no return whatsoever. You know, his only goal that he scored was that consolation in the 5 1 against Atalanta. You know, he's only Scored a couple this season while he's been out on loan. I think he had was it over a year of a goal yeah. drought. Yeah. And that's just for a striker, you know, and for a striker who came to Goodison with so much promise as well. You know, we kept getting told, oh, "This is going to be the bargain of the summer." You know, Everton have got, you know, one of the most exciting prospects in Spain. This kid's going to be going to be brilliant, and you know, that's everything. Well, the eye to roll, begin. isn't it? But I mean, that's everything we wanted to hear, wasn't it? When Romelu Lukaku left, we were thinking to ourselves, yeah, we need maybe this young lad to, you know, maybe settle in for the first season and then kick on and then he could be this, like, 20-goal-a-season man that we've been looking for for so long. And it just didn't happen. You know, it only took until January before he was out on loan. Two other loan moves have followed and none of them look like they're going to lead to a permanent move just because of those astronomical wages we have to pay to get him in in the first place. So, you know, I'd be I'd be majorly shocked if Everton managed to offload him before his contract ended up running out of the club, which is, mm. you know, that's that's quite a mistake to me, yeah. to be honest. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go with Sandro for mine. Sam?
3: Yeah, I think, obviously, they're the, they're the two big ones. Andy Balassi probably up there for, for some as well, but mm. that injury, I think, you know, he, he actually hadn't had the, the worst first half of... Of that season and some exciting performance at the start as well. So but for me, I just think Stevie Class was one of one of the worst, probably the worst player I've ever seen play for Evan. He was <laughs> right, that's nonsense. It <laughs> <laughs> can't he be, was, he can't he can't be the worst. He was built like a child. And I'll, I'll <laughs> remember that. that time he lost the ball against Moussa Satoko against Tottenham at Goodson when we lost 3 0. And he just lay on the floor with his head in the turf And I remember just saying to me, Dad, like that's it. He's done because he knew, he knew he couldn't play at this level, and we'd, we, you know, we managed. I think what is remarkable, whether it was Walsh or Cumin, that they managed to go to that I United Europa League final and see all that talent on display, and see Davinson Sanchez, and go that four foot ball, twenty two year old playing centre mid is the one we should we should go and sign. So seriously,
0: like, jokes, jokes aside, it's interesting because. I watched, I'm sure all of us, or many of us, and many people listed, did watch that final. And it was very clear by that point that we were already well in the market for Davy Klassen and yeah. it was pretty much almost a done deal. Do you think many of us, and I would probably be guilty of this, chose to ignore what we saw that night?
3: I think so, because I, I think as well that's one of the reasons Klassen kind of stings a little bit, because, you know, I know it's called. It, it can catch it out with any football these days, but for me, it was the you know sign of the Ajax captain. This goal scored midfielder, you know all the statistics and you know now people on Twitter love to throw stats and graphs and XG and stuff around. But everything kind of painted this this great player, this this gem from Holland. You know he was a leader. He popped up. He scored goals. He was loved by the Ajax fans. He'd he dragged Ajax to you know quite unexpected for Ajax to get to the Europa League final you know a bit of you know, the captain of this exciting new young team and as you're saying Phil I don't think any. I think we watched that Europa League final and I don't really remember Klassen touching the ball and and, and that was probably what he was guilty of during his time at Everton as well he, he was an anonymous performer and, and, and but that, that day when we signed him it was just it was just so exciting and I think yeah we probably did ignore the fact that you know obviously you can't judge a player off one game and what a massive game it was as well against a uh, Jose Mourinho, you know, master of finals, Manchester United side. So, it, it was it was difficult, but I always, for me, classing out of all Walsh sounds difficult to stomach because it did just, he, he almost seemed like a guarantee. I know it was over 20 million, I know he's coming from a foreign league, but he just seemed to, to have something that was going to translate to the English game, seemed to pop up in the right positions, a bit of a, a modern Tim Kale at whatever, and you know, we, we took a massive loss on him, but I also understand where Adam's coming from as well. That when you factor in Sandro's wages and the fact that we're probably gonna have to just try and find another loan move for him and hope that he catches fire in terms of his form somewhere else, then you know it's, 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 it's difficult with them too, isn't it? To kind of defend Walsh's business, but yeah, it's, I think Davey's done all right at Word of Bremen as well. He was a nice guy, and from what we heard and seen, he was he was professional as well. He never kicked threw his toys out the primal, kicked off at Everton, so I'll always respect Davy for that. But he just wasn't cut out for the Premier League, and and hopefully we now under Marcel we've moved away from those kinds of transfers.
0: Chris, just going back to um, Idris Agai, and you know, mm. as you mentioned, I think we, we talk seemingly forever have talked about struggling to replace Romelu Lukaku. Is it becoming increasingly apparent that so far we haven't replaced Guy? And s- second question to that. How difficult do you think that task is this summer? Um, well, as
2: they would have probably envisaged that uh, Jean-Philippe Gamamin was was the player to replace um Adrissa Gay. Um, obviously a very different man physically, a much more um, um, you know, just a, a bigger unit for want yeah. of a better word. Idrisha gay was very tough, but obviously a very small man, whereas um um Kabamba is also, you know, a physical presence who could also play centre back. I believe. Well, I remember speaking to a German journalist when he signed, saying it's almost like he's three players in one. S- Sadly, we've not seen any of those players, unfortunately, yet. So he would be the one. But what we do have now is a totally different dynamic. Whereas for the best part of the last few years, and typically playing the the four two three one stroke four three three, um, either way in the. That the midfield's setting out a certain way, whereas at the moment Carlo's been playing that that four four two, so it's a different kind of dynamic. I don't know whether going forward that's the way that Carlo want, wants to do it, but it's it's who's going to fit into the way Ancelotti wants to to have the midfield. Um, Fabian Delph was it, was another one, another defensive minded midfielder. who... You know, I, I remember people at the club um, really crowing about his signing in the first few weeks of the season. But it's not—it's not quite happened for him. You know, we've been in and out with the injuries and loss of form, and quite disappointingly, loss of discipline at times, which is something that we didn't expect from him. We won't you know—almost saw him as this experienced model pro, the that, 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 that steady hand there. So, yeah, there's, there's certainly some some big questions to to be answered in in regards to that for, for next season. Just who does fill Gays' boots and just what sort of midfielder that's go, that's
0: going to end up being? Absolutely, it's something for us to uh, to explore and, and write about and talk about in the coming yeah. days and, and weeks and or well, for however forever, how long uh, this gap goes on. And um, chaps, thank you very much for joining me from various points in the Merseyside slash Wirral region. Uh, it's been a pleasure <laughs> to see your faces for the first time in a week. Yep. Yeah, various points, of the, various points of the flat
3: for uh, for
1: Sam and Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah yes. Me, me, and Sam have had to quarantine ourselves in different rooms. I was Hopefully very I can't I, stand the sight of them.
3: I was very on brand for this whole podcast by doing it from bed, wasn't I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, um, no, thanks for uh, for joining us, chaps. Your opinions and, and insight, excellent as always. We will do this again at some point next week and thank you very much for listening and just a plea um, to the people who are listening get your questions into us uh, across your usual channels on uh, Facebook on Twitter and you you know we're all online get your questions into us and we'll uh, we will do special pods on uh, on listener questions in the coming weeks hopefully we'll try and do one early next week so if you remember get your questions in on any topics uh, you want discussing and we'll form the, uh, the podcast around them so uh, thank you very much for listening chaps thank you very much We're off to uh, wash our hands thoroughly. And uh, this has been the Royal Blue Podcast.
3: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.